Well, there's no time to waste. We're covering two entire chapters here in the Gospel of Matthew as we continue this series through some of my favorite passages in the life and ministry of Jesus. There's no time to waste, so go ahead and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 8 and 9. You can grab your bulletin as well, find the outline, and you can see we're going to do the same thing three times here this morning. Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is broken into three major sections, and each section has three miracles and a teaching. Three miracles and a teaching. Three miracles and a teaching. And there's no time to waste, so let's jump right into the passage. Matthew chapter 8. Let's look, uh, look first at the three miracles and a teaching. Let's look at the first miracle, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountain... Large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Again, three miracles and a teaching. Here we see the first miracle. Jesus heals a leper. Now, as you know, lepers were unclean, untouchable. This is long before the days of social distancing. Everybody stayed away from this guy. And yet notice what Jesus does here. Jesus shows his authority to heal this man. He could have just spoken a word, but instead Matthew highlights that Jesus reached out and touched this guy. This is the first miracle. There's no time to waste, so we have to move on to the second. Notice verse 5. There's no time to waste the second miracle. And Jesus, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion, a Roman centurion, came to him, imploring him, begging him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, so just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, He marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I tell you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. So here in the second miracle, Jesus heals this servant of the Roman centurion. And a couple things I want you to see here. First of all, this Roman centurion had authority. This guy was commissioned by the emperor himself. This guy was big time. He's a big deal. And yet notice he recognizes that his authority pales in comparison to Jesus's. This guy says, listen, I've got authority. I tell people to go and to come and they obey. But 
I'm not even worthy for you to come under my house. So just say the word, and I know that he will be healed. And then notice, he marvels that this Roman centurion's faith, in verse 13, he heals the servant at that very moment. Again, there's no time to waste, so we have to go to the third miracle, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. She got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him, to Jesus, many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. He healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. So here, the third miracle of this first section, Jesus heals a woman. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, would have disproved of touching a woman, especially a sick woman. But again, notice Matthew intentionally notes that Jesus touched her and healed her. Three miracles that show Jesus' amazing authority, but there's no time to waste. Now we have to look at the teaching. Three miracles and a teaching. Three miracles and a teaching. You would think that with this kind of authority, everyone would want to follow this guy, right? Wrong. Notice what happens in verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have, no, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Here we see that word follow. And if you've not picked up on it by now, I want you to take note of every time that word follow is mentioned in these two chapters. This man, a scribe, comes to Jesus and he says, listen, I'll follow you wherever you go. That word follow is a discipleship term. And often people would choose their rabbi, their teacher, based on what their particular teacher, what perks he could offer. But notice Jesus highlights not the perks, but the cost of following him. The Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And so we're left concluding that this man walks away. The cost of following Jesus is just too much. Then we meet another man. There's no time to waste, so we must move on to verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, to Jesus, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me. There's that word again and allow the dead to bury their own dead. So here's another would-be disciple who's coming to follow Jesus. Jesus invites this man to follow me. But this guy says, listen, I've got something else to take care of right now. I need to go bury my father. Now, in this day and age, when a person died, they would put the body into a tomb. And then after about a year, as the body decomposed, they would go back into the tomb, gather the bones, put them in a little small box called an ossuary, and then store them away. Most likely, it's the second phase of the burial that is in mind here. 
So the man's father has already died, the body is decomposing, and this guy says, listen, I've got business to take care of. I need to bury my father. I'll follow you later, Jesus, when it's a more convenient time for me. But Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their own dead. We have no time to waste, so we must move on. We have three miracles followed by a teaching. Again, to summarize, Jesus heals three people here. All three, by the way, Jesus was crossing significant social boundaries of his day. He heals a leper who's the untouchable. He heals a Roman centurion, uh, the servant, who is uh, the enemy of the Jewish people in these days. And then he heals a woman who's, well, a woman. Who in this day and age, this culture is simply not on the same level as a man. But Jesus crosses all three social barriers and then he issues a teaching. Again, there's no time to waste, so we have to look at number two on your outline, the second cycle of three, teaching, or three miracles and a teaching. Notice Matthew chapter eight, verse 23. When he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a mega storm, a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they, the disciples, came to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. He said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm, or literally mega calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. So notice under number two on your outline, the first of the miracles we see here, Jesus and his disciples get into a boat, they leave Capernaum, they're heading to the other side of the sea when a storm hits. Matthew notes that this is a great storm, it's a mega storm, and the disciples begin panicking. This is a storm unlike anything they've ever seen before. So they wake Jesus up, and notice Jesus' authority. He immediately calms the storm. It goes from a mega storm to mega calm. This is amazing authority. There's no time to waste, so we have to move on to the next miracle. Verse 28, when he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, Gentile territory, two men who were demon-possessed met him, and they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. They cried out, saying, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them, and the demons began to entreat him, saying, if you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And Jesus said to them, go. They came out and went into the swine. It's kind of like that noise right there, probably. <laughs> the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. Notice the herdsmen ran away and went into the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, but when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So after the calming of the sea, 
Jesus goes to Gentile territory. He and his disciples are met by these two demon-possessed men. Notice that the demons recognize Jesus' authority over them. They know that he can do in a word that he can send them away. And so they beg him to send them into the swine. Jesus sends them into the swine. He he heals the demon-possessed men. And again, notice the people of the town beg Jesus to leave. Again, there's no time to waste. We have to move on to the next miracle. Notice chapter 9, verse 1. Getting into the boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city, Capernaum. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But so that, note this verse, so that you may know that the Son of, a man, Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. So again, Jesus gets into the boat, he heads back to Capernaum, and upon there, upon arriving at Capernaum, they bring to him this paralyzed man. Again, notice the authority of Jesus. We see the word authority mentioned twice here in these verses. Jesus has the authority to heal this guy, but more importantly, he has the authority to forgive this guy's sins. And notice the crowds are amazed, they're awestruck at the authority of Jesus. We're supposed to be captivated by the authority of this guy. Three more miracles highlighting the authority of Jesus, but there's no time to waste. We have to move on to the teaching. Notice verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Notice there's that word again. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, real quick, let me pause there. We see that word follow. Matthew, by the way, as a tax collector, would have been the most vile person in all Capernaum because he's a traitor. He's a Jew who's working for the enemy Romans, taxing and charging the Jewish people and handing that money over to Rome. And yet, this is the guy that Jesus calls to follow him. That's all background. Notice now, verse 10, we come into the teaching. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, this is in Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? So Matthew throws this party for Jesus there at his home in Capernaum. He invites all the other riffraff, the tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees enter into the scene and they can't believe their eyes. You don't associate with these kind of people. Your 
teacher, your rabbi, is eating, fellowshipping with these people? Well, notice what Jesus says, verse 12. Here's the teaching lesson. Jesus heard this, and he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then there's another question that comes up. Verse 14, the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fasts, uh, fast, but your disciples do not fast? It was common, many of the Pharisees, the religious leaders in this day and age, fasted twice a week. And the disciples of John would fast. And everybody wants to know, well, why are the disciples of Jesus not fasting? So notice the teaching lesson here that Jesus explains what he's doing. Verse 15, he said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days are coming when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the garment and a worse tear will result. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst, the wine pours out, the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. What's the point of this teaching section? Three miracles and a teaching, three miracles and a teaching, three miracles and a teaching. The point Jesus is making here is this out with the old and in with the new. Things are changing. Just because the Pharisees did something a certain way doesn't mean Jesus is going to do it that way. In fact, it's often the reverse. A lot more could be said, but we have to move on. There's no time to waste. We see another three miracles followed by another teaching. Let's take a look at number three on your outline, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before Jesus and said, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him and so did his disciples. A woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, if I can only touch his garment, then I will get well. And Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once, the woman was made well. So when Jesus came into the official's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder. He said, leave, for the girl has not died. She's just asleep. But they began laughing at him. And when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up or was raised up. And this news spread throughout all that land. A couple things here. This is the first miracle of the, of the third section, but it really has two parts, right? You have the young girl who has died, and you have the woman who's been sick for 12 years. Notice the, uh, the, the, the young girl's father. Uh, he's the highest ranking religious official probably in all of Capernaum. He comes to Jesus. He recognizes Jesus' authority. He believes that Jesus can raise this girl from the dead. And Jesus does. Jesus shows his authority over even death itself. But then it's interrupted by this account of a woman who's been suffering for 12 long years. 
And Jesus demonstrates his authority. Not only over the depth to death itself, but even over the duration of physical suffering for 12 long years. This guy has amazing authority, but there's no time to waste. We have to move on. Notice verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. When Jesus entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It should be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. So the second miracle here in the third section Jesus restores sight to the blind. The irony, of course, is that the blind men see who Jesus is. The blind men see Jesus' authority to heal them when no one else sees. Again, a lot more could be said, but there's no time to waste, so we have to move on to the final miracle. Notice verse 32. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, notice this, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But, but the Pharisees were saying, he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. So in the third and final miracle here in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, Jesus allows the mute to speak. The mute speak. And it's implied that they speak the truth about what Jesus has done. Ironically, on the other hand, the Pharisees speak lies. The mute speak the truth about what Jesus has done and the Pharisees speak lies. They say, well, this man is only doing this under the power of Satan himself. There's no time to waste, so we have to keep reading. Let's look at the final teaching. Notice verse 35. Jesus is going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So Matthew tells us, listen, Jesus kept doing all these kinds of miracles and teachings. Uh, all of these people were being healed. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. All kinds of healings are taking place. But then Jesus sees a problem. The people are distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. The word for distressed there means battered and bruised. Dispirited uh, means they're helpless. They've lost hope. And so Jesus has compassion on them. And teaching his disciples, he tells his disciples, listen, I want you to beg of God, beseech the Lord to send workers out into the harvest field because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Now, if you were to keep reading into Matthew chapter 10, you will note that the disciples become the answer to this very prayer, and Jesus sends his disciples out. This is carried forward into Matthew chapter 28, where all authority in heaven on earth is given over to Jesus, and he tells us, he commands us to go out and to make disciples. A lot more could be said, but there's no time to waste. As we take a step back from Matthew 8 and 9, we see three miracles and a teaching, three miracles and a teaching, three miracles and a teaching. Like Yogi Berra said, it's like deja vu all over again. What's the point of this? Why does Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, arrange Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9 in such a way that we see this repetition, we see this pattern? Why do we need to know this? Why would I take the time when we don't have time to waste to cover two entire chapters of the Gospel of Matthew? What's the point here? The first thing I want you to notice is the repetition of that word authority. If you were to go back through Matthew chapter 8 and 9, you're going to see the repetition of that word authority, and you're going to see very clearly the demonstration of Jesus' authority. Nine different times, Matthew is highlighting, he's overwhelming us with the evidence of Jesus' authority. To recap again, we see Jesus heal the leper, we see him heal the servant of the Roman, and we see him heal the woman, Peter's mother-in-law. Amazing authority. In the second cycle, we see Jesus calm the storm, which is demonstrating his authority over the cosmic realm. Then he casts out the demons and sends them into the pig, into the sea, into the place of the chaos. This demonstrates his authority over the demonic realm. And then in the third miracle, he heals the man, demonstrating his authority over the physical realm, but it's all pointing to his authority over the spiritual realm. He has the authority to even forgive sins. And then in this third round, we're confronted with Jesus' authority as he heals the woman who's been suffering for 12 long years, and he raises back to life the girl who has died, raising her from death itself. Then in the last two healings, Jesus heals the blind and the mute, which are clear messianic authority. Throughout Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we're confronted time and time again with the amazing authority of this guy. But why? Why does Matthew want us to know just how much authority Jesus has? Well, there's some other repeated words we see in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. One of those words is follow. Nine times in these two chapters, we see that word follow. Twelve times, we see the opposite. We see the word depart, walk away. The question that I believe Matthew wants us to ask is when we are confronted overwhelmingly with the authority of Jesus, do we follow or do we walk away? Do we follow or do we walk away? Notice the question of the disciples there on the boat 
when they see Jesus' authority to calm the storm. They ask really what is the question of this passage. In verse 27 of chapter 8, the men were amazed at the authority of Jesus and said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Throughout Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, we see even the winds and the waves obey him. Even the demons obey him. Even sickness obeys him. Even death itself obeys him. And if everything in this passage is obeying Jesus, is following Jesus, then doesn't it make sense that I would too? That's the invitation of this passage. To be overwhelmed with the supreme authority of this king and to say, that's the guy I want to follow. But to be honest with you, I wrestle with that. Because we don't like authority. I don't like to be told what to do. Far too often I find myself like those would-be disciples here in this passage. We hear that invitation to follow Jesus. And like the first guy, when Jesus tells them the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, when I'm confronted with the authority of Jesus, I, like that guy, think, Jesus, you're asking too much of me. The cost is too high. And so I walk away. Or like the second guy, the second would-be disciple, Jesus says, follow me. And he says, I've, I've got some other business to take care of first. And so we delay our obedience to Jesus for a more convenient time for us. But Jesus says, no. The reason I picked two big chapters to preach through this morning, one of the reasons why these are some of my favorite passages is because it forces us to be confronted with the authority of Jesus and then asks, what are you gonna do? Do you follow or do you, obey, or do you walk away? One of the most important things I want you to see here is that even though we don't like authority, we don't like to submit to authority, the authority of Jesus is very different. All of us probably have had bad bosses or we're fed up with politicians who abuse their authority, but notice here that Jesus' authority is, is different because Jesus' authority is pure, it's good, and it's sacrificial to the point that he even lays down his life for those who follow him. And notice again, Matthew chapter nine, verse six, the whole point of him healing the paralytic is so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, not only to raise people from paralysis, but to forgive our sin. And that's why this Jesus is worth following. That's why his authority is good. If you're still wrestling with this question of who Jesus is, here in this room, those of you watching online, the most important thing I want you to know is that this guy has the authority on earth to forgive sin. And he's the only one. And all that he asks of you is that you trust him. You put your faith in him. And you can walk out of this room knowing, you can log off online knowing that your sins are forgiven. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of guy I want to follow. That's the kind of authority that I want to submit to. There at the bottom 
on the back side of your outline. I've given you some application questions to consider, but here's what I want you to do this week. When you're confronted over and over again here in Matthew chapter eight and nine with the authority of Jesus, I want you to pray and ask God to reveal those areas in your life, because we all have them, that need to come under the authority of this guy. What kind of a man is this? What are you holding back from him? And why? Matthew 8 and 9 is written to overwhelm us with the amazing authority of Jesus, to force us to ask the question, what kind of a man is this? To show us that Jesus possesses absolute compassionate authority over us, and he deserves absolute allegiance from us. And that's the point of Matthew chapter 8 and 9. And listen, there's no time to waste. There's no time to waste when it comes to the question of what will you do with him? Do you follow or will you walk away? And there's no time to waste. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the invitation to follow Jesus. And forgive us, Father, when at times in our life we choose to walk away when we think that the cost of discipleship is just too high or the timing's just not right and we try to control those areas of our life that we don't want to hand over to you. Help us to see here in this passage but also in our life the compassionate authority of Christ our King. Help us to follow him. By your spirit, give us the strength to not walk away, to not give our allegiance to anything or anyone else, but to live lives that are sold out for him. I ask this for myself, and I ask this for each person here, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.